Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Climate change is exacerbating weather extremes, making heat waves more frequent and more severe worldwide, and this summer has been the hottest on record. Heat waves are also causing yet another devastating wildfire season, and with data showing that the eastern Mediterranean is warming twice as fast as the rest of the world, this is a particularly acute problem for countries like Greece. Professor Kostas Sinolakis joins me to break down his latest op-ed in Gathemarini that explores how Greece is handling this double whammy of heat waves and wildfires. Kostas Sinolakis is a professor at the University of Southern California and a member of the Academy of Athens and the U.S. National Academy of Engineering. In 2019, he was elected chairman of the newly established Special Scientific Committee on Climate Change in Greece. Kostas, it's great to have you on The Greek Current with us. Thanks for joining. It's great to talk to you, Sano. Kostas, with wildfires raging from Canada to the Mediterranean, you've made the case that there is no better spot to observe the policy and political impact of climate-driven wildfires than Greece. You know, why does Greece stand out here? Well, because in Greece, up until four years ago, up until 2019 and the change in government, evacuations were not, were not happening. It was a matter of debate. People thought that evacuations were ineffective, they, they take a very long time, and for that reason, they were not useful. Of course, it all started in 2018 when there was a fire in Mati. In that fire, 104 people died. This is the highest death toll from a, a brass fire in the 21st century, and one of the probably sixth or seventh highest death toll since records are kept in the last 120 years. So I argued that evacuations would, in fact, you know, save lives and that things could have been done very differently than uh, as far as the crisis management aspect was concerned. This became a matter of debate between uh, the governing party at the time and the main opposition party, which is now in power. So only in Greece you would think that something as obvious as evacuations would become a political issue, but it did become a political issue. And I'm glad that by now, pretty much evacuations are the norm. And I don't think people debate about this anymore. The debate has shifted into another phase where people argue that the country now over-evacuates, meaning you know, civil defense issues evacuations orders too much. Of course, in my view, this is wrong. I mean, until we get the technology that we can really have highly focused evacuations, it's always better to be safe and evacuate a wider area than perhaps at the end it will prove that you needed to. Costas, well, you know, one aspect of the response to wildfires, as you've laid out, has been evacuations. And this, we could say, has been largely successful over the last couple of years. Greece will need to do much more. What else do you think needs to be done as Greece tries to adapt in the coming years for what you've described as a marathon in terms of building resilience to face the climate crisis? Well, it is indeed the marathon, and things probably are going to get worse until they stay the same and they start getting better. I think, you know, for starters, we need to invest as a country more into, uh, of course, more firefighting equipment, firefighting aircraft, but also into building really professional volunteer firefighting force like we have in the States. A few regions in Greece have volunteer firefighters, and this really help 
in the forest fires, but this really needs to be built up. Now, in terms of forest management, one of the uh, what was happening in Greece, or rather what was not happening up until you know, fairly recently, was controlled burns. In the U.S., during a big or you know, mega fire, it is not at all uncommon for firefighters to have a controlled burn, burn a certain area, a certain corridor, you know, A, to try to starve an oncoming fire from oxygen or you know, to build a zone that the fire cannot get over it because it's already burned and in that way you can stop the fire. Even that was not part of the standard practice. In fact, I don't think it was even allowed you know, as far back as a few years ago. Building you know, protective fire zones, obviously that has to be revisited. One of the parts that's extremely important Again, taking a page from the U.S., is you know, a very aggressive you know, first strike on the fire. That has also been debated in, you know, in the U.S. I mean, it used to be going back to 50 years ago in the U.S. that the dogma was immediately you know, try to put a fire out as soon as it comes out, as quickly as possible, throw at it all you've got. Well, this is still, you know, to a certain degree, you know, the dogma, but of course, you know, you have you know, much bigger fires that sometimes they get out of control. I mean, Greece needs to do that, get to that point where there is very aggressive fighting of the fire right away. Of course, this means, again, coming back, you know, more equipment, more firefighters, volunteer firefighters. And then again, we come to the point of adaptation, what I mentioned earlier, fire zones, you know, it's part of the adaptation Part of, you know, when it comes to, you know, managing the, um, you know, biomass, what all this means is, you know, managing forest projects. I mean, this in Greece has not been, you know, managed perhaps as effectively as it could have been. I mean, what do the forests produce? Talking with, you know, loggers and people who use biomass, have them help out with, you know, building fire roads and helping actively managing uh, forests, of course, to the benefit of the, um, of the forest and to the country. So all of this is not the brain surgery. It's initiatives and practices that have been you know, fairly standard in the U.S., particularly in California, whose practice I know fairly well. And, I mean, they need to be transplanted in Greece as quickly as possible. One thing that you point out in your piece in Kathimerini is the need for public education to discourage unsafe behavior and dispel wildfire management myths. What behaviors do you see that you think need to change, and what are some of the most dangerous myths out there about wildfires? First of all, in terms of behavior, I think Greece is now at the point that really malicious arson is possibly not the greatest cause of wildfires, but maybe you know, it you know, goes hand-in-hand hand with accidental arson. For example, it's not uncommon, and it was apparently the case in 2018 in uh, Mati, where a farmer put out, I mean, wanted to burn some dry brush, and did so in the middle of the summer with, you know, strong winds. You shouldn't ever, ever burn dry brush. Not in the summer, not in the winter. This is something that simply, in the context of Mediterranean forests that are so combustible. I mean, it's very, very different, the forests in the Mediterranean, the pine forests, than you know, the forests we know of in the western United States or in the eastern United States, uh, you know, for that matter. It's particularly the pine wood forests here are incredibly combustible. So any kind of 
you know, burning, you know, near the forest or, you know, putting up a fire. You know, sometimes it's, you know, it's campfires. Unfortunately, there's still, you know, people who are really careless with cigarette butts and they throw them out. They think that they have put them out. Still, there's a portion of the country, just like, you know, every in the world where people smoke. Unfortunately, some of these people, you know, still throw out cigarettes out of the windows of their cars. I mean, they think they put it out and they throw it out of the window so it doesn't smell in the car. And of course, I mean, they can start out in a fire. All of these are, you know, behaviors that we need, you know, to educate people straightforward as they seem and obvious as they seem, unless someone realizes what can happen. I mean, people don't know that they can put out, I mean, in the summer, when there is very, very dry brush, you know, after you know, a heat wave, they can step on a cigarette butt thinking that it is out, and then they can, can walk away and the butt can start the fire. All of these things are particularly, you know, the burning of the dry brush. I mean, it's things that we have to uh, educate people that it's basically you cannot do this at any time near a forest. Um, you remember in the U.S., for example, I mean, where you go in, there's a sign that there is uh, this uh, friendly bear. I mean, it's the Forest Service that says only you can prevent fires. Well, in many ways, Greece needs to go to a public education campaign in the same vein. Now there are signs in the different forests or, you know, different trails, you know, be careful with forest fires, etc. But there needs to be, uh, in my view, a far more organized educational campaign so that people learn this. And then also arsonists realize and they learn, you know, first of all, the legal consequences of arson, but also that they realize that this is not, you know, a joke. It's a crime against, in many ways, you know, it's a crime against all the people of the country and, in fact, all of the people, you know, in the world because forest is an incredible valuable resource. It's incredibly useful, you know, in the ecosystem and someone, for whatever reason, have absolutely no right to go there and destroy this incredible resource for the rest of the community. Looking beyond Greece, what's clear is that this is a regional and a global problem. And the data shows that the Eastern Mediterranean in particular is warming twice as fast as the rest of the world. Beyond, you know, sending planes and firefighters in support of countries that are battling wildfires, as we just saw over the last few weeks in Greece, what else can be done on a regional level? On a regional level, we need to realize that Climate change is an existential threat for humanity. So at the regional level, there has to be first climate action. There is ambition. Greece has substantial climate ambition. What climate ambition means is that the country is willing and has actually passed laws in which it legislates climate targets, which is an incredible you know, first step. Let me add here that in this way, Greece is a little bit ahead of the United States, where in most states we do not have concrete you know, targets for greenhouse gas emissions. In Greece we do. So this is called climate ambition, a country that sets concrete limits, for example, on commercial vehicles, in taxes, beginning, I think, in 2026 or 2028, I think it's 2026, you know, all taxes, I mean, in the big cities have to be either hybrid or electric. Uh, limits on emissions from home heaters, uh, limits in transportation. This is called climate ambition. When you set concrete limits and these limits are strict, means you have high ambition that you can meet these targets and you can move forward. Now, one aspect of the problem is for the country to have 
high ambition in the Greek government, particularly this government has very high ambition, partly because you know the prime minister is really there in many ways ahead of even his cabinet ministers in terms of the climate ambition. It's one thing to have this great climate ambition. It's another thing to be able to educate everyone and convince everyone that they have to also take personal action. It's not just what the country does. It's also the individual decisions that people make every day. And this has to change going forward. I mean, countries alone cannot do it simply by legislating electric cars and reducing emissions from electricity production and transportation. People have to take their own initiatives. This is something that the Mediterranean countries need to do because I haven't seen any studies about how informed people are, particularly in the Eastern Mediterranean, about how we are essentially boiling at a double the rate, as you said earlier, than the world average, which means people need to be very aware of the actions they need to take and also of the consequences if they don't take action. One of the issues that really is of concern to me is that even going back 10, 15 years ago, we were thinking that the kind of heat waves that we see now with the duration and intensity they have, because this is really what has changed this summer. Well, 15 years ago, we were talking about this, even 10 years ago, qualitatively, we were saying, oh, heat waves are going to be more intense, they're going to have higher duration, they're going to be more frequent, but we didn't really expect all of this to be happening so quickly, I mean, in 2023, which for some scientists say that this is a summer we will always remember because it's a summer that beyond any doubt we're seeing the effects of climate change. So this is a message that we need to put forward, you know, loud and clear, so people know that in some ways, again, I started by saying this is what concerns me, there may be other consequences that we haven't really, as a community of scientists, thought through, that there may be more happening faster than we think. So it's something that people need to be aware of, that we are getting into uncharted territory when it comes to climate change. And there may be surprises ahead that will be very unpleasant. The analogy that I like to give sometimes is the analogy with COVID-19. I mean, nobody expected, I mean, if you you went back five years ago, nobody expected, you know, the kind of pandemic that we had and the fact that we would, you know, pretty much shut down the world for about close to a year on and off until we got vaccines. Sure, people thought that pandemics were possible, but nobody really understood the consequences. We got a pandemic, what it would mean for the economy, what it would mean for our everyday lives. And this is something that only lasted for a year. We are at the same point with climate change. I mean, we're talking about, we're saying, oh, there will be consequences. We know they will be there, but I mean, we cannot really identify all these consequences extremely well with our models because it is so far into the future. And this is something that people need to be aware of, that there may be unpleasant surprises if we don't take aggressive climate action now. Kostas, it's been great speaking with you. Thanks for joining us. Sano, it's a wonderful discussion. Take care. In other news, Japan gave an important vote of confidence to Athens as its rating agency rating and investment information is now the first to attribute Greece investment grade after the upgrade to BBB- with stable prospects on Monday. Although the Japanese agency is not ranked among the houses that the European Central Bank takes into account in its decisions, its move is considered a harbinger of similar moves by the big agencies, i.e. Fitch, DBRS Morningstar, Moody's, and S&P. 
which will mean lower financing costs, greater investment in the country, growth, and jobs. This development opens the way for investment funds from Japan and the Asian market as a whole to the Greek economy. Finally, during a meeting between Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis and Cyprus President Nikos Christodoulidis in Nicosia on Monday, both sides emphasized their dedication to seeking a peace settlement for Cyprus based on the UN framework for a bizonal bicommunal federation. The presence of an occupying army in an EU member state, along with the outdated system of guarantees for third-party intervention in its affairs, must not be tolerated, Mitsotakis said, while dismissing Turkish demands for a two-state solution. Mitsotakis and Christodoulidis also said they welcomed a Turkey-EU re-engagement but stressed that it had to be gradual and, if necessary, reversible. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.